Hello, my name is Dan Brown. I'm here today again with another A Lens A Day Conversations about information architecture. And today I get to talk to the marvelous Jenny Benevento. Jenny, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you for asking. So uh, I've been asking a lot of folks about how they work with other people because I is kind of a weird field that deals a lot with abstractions. It deals with the complexities of language. Uh, and sometimes there's a need to sort of, or there's frequently a need to bring people along with us on that journey. But I also feel like a big part of IA is just sort of sitting and thinking or sitting and trying to make sense of stuff or a little bit of it, if not more than a little bit, is uh, a solitary exercise, or at least I think it might be. <clears throat> so I'm curious, <clears throat> what are some of the things that you do after you've talked to a lot of different people, engaged a lot of different stakeholders, maybe had a group activity? What are some of the things that you do when you are by yourself working on information architecture? How would you explain what some of those activities look like? Yeah, I mean, I think I watched a few of these and I, I will second uh, Andy Fitzgerald's spreadsheets, just a lot of spreadsheets. <laughs> um, I think I had the interesting experience of working at Etsy where I was the solo taxonomist for a pretty long time. And those make me really uncomfortable. Um, not because, I, you know, I do love sitting by myself and making all the decisions. That's great. Uh, but I don't know. I feel like a taxonomy done by one person is not a good taxonomy, right? Uh, that's what Dewey did. And I love the Dewey Decimal System. I come from a library background. Most people don't love the Dewey Decimal System, but uh, it's always the canonical example, right? Like he put Christianity in a hundred numbers and gave like 10 numbers to every other religion, right? I think that even no matter how conscious you are to me by yourself, that's not good. So you know, I'm relying on as much information from other people as possible, uh, including, you know, user research type stuff, just numbers type stuff. Um, and I try and engage with people in different fields. Um, I try and use the weirdness of our job to kind of engage those people. And I think that's been really good. Like people who are, I get a lot of questions of like, how did you even like come to this job? Like, did you study librarianship or something? And it's like, yes, that's exactly what I study. <laughs> and I think other librarians get offended by the question of like, what do you do all day? Research the Dewey Decimal System. But in my case, yes, that's what I did. Um, and just even taking those questions, which I think sometimes are from a point of view that is not positive towards us and being like, yeah, it's pretty cool. Like I get to do all this research on this weird stuff. Um, early in my job at Etsy, I did a weekly thing at our weekly meeting that was like, what's the weirdest thing you found? Like, what's the weirdest thing you had to think about? Because I think, you know, everyone thinks everyone else's job is easy <laughs> or like it can be done pretty quickly because you don't understand the like minutia of decisions. And so bringing those minutia of decisions to the front of being like, hey, I have to be, it's easy to think about the 70% of things that can be classified easily but like, what about this thing? Well, have we thought about it? Is there legal issues about it? Is it offensive? Like, oh, we don't want someone looking for, uh, you know, kids toys to come across adult toys, for example. Like, and once you 
once you can engage with those weird things, I think they understand the complexity a little bit better. Um, also using their language, I, I know someone else earlier said this too, the idea, I think it was maybe Ren, the idea of, you know, if an analyst, if you're talking to an analyst, come with numbers. If you're talking to an engineer, come with discussions about, you know, databases maybe, or algorithms, um, you know, meeting them at their, their level. They're a user, just like anyone else. Do you feel like uh, IA is, um, I mean, in some ways, the nuts and bolts of IA have not changed over, you know, the decades that we've been doing this work, but I think some of the concerns have evolved a lot. Are there aspects to classification or categorization or tagging that are emergent now that are things that are top of mind for folks that maybe weren't so much certainly when i got started in the late 90s on this stuff i mean yeah i think i i think the concerns were always there but were they a concern to different people in the organization um something i think about a lot is the classification is branding right uh whether or not your company makes a decision about if it's inclusive to different groups of people, your the categorization brings it out, right? It brings out the, the biases of, of the company. So, uh, I mean, a huge thing at Etsy, something I thought about a lot about was queer weddings, right? Where else are you going for queer weddings? Not a lot of places. Um, and we would see that in search traffic, we would see that in numbers. Uh, you know, it's a branding thing. Even our marketing department would do stuff around it. Commercials are for Etsy were, you know, had a lot of queer couples in them. Um, but so in a sense, you can say we were making a political stand, but there was no official, you know, we weren't saying anything official. And I think sometimes that classification can seem like an official stand. Um, people get, we get complaints about how things are categorized on all e-commerce sites I've ever worked on. And, you know, putting that word in the nav or putting whatever word, it's taking a stand. It's saying we're branding ourselves as this. Um, I've been to user interviews where people were looking over a certain taxonomy or um, navigation and said, like, this is very JCPenney. This just feels JCPenney. And it's like, oh, yeah, we're communicating our brand in this in this navigation. So I think there is more of a pressure in the last few years that I think even executives see that you know, the words we put on our website, what we put on the left-hand nav, what we put front and center on the main nav is really our political affiliation. Like, are we, I mean, even with masks is a great example right now. Are we front and forward with masks or are we hiding it? Um, I, I've been looking a lot into gender neutral clothing and a great example I have of this, of something I was looking at was Old Navy has a gender neutral clothing section um, the Gap and Banana Republic and Athleta don't. And those are all, it's all the same website, right? So they have the technical capability, but Old Navy has chosen, this is our brand. And these other brands, more high-end, have chosen it not to be. I don't know. I don't work there. I've never worked there. But uh, there's a communication there that Old Navy is the brand for you if you're interested in this, and these aren't. Even though they're all the same parent, they're made in the same place. So I, I think it's... It has always been political, uh, but it, it's now seen as more political, uh, or and I think political is a poor word for it. Maybe it's seen as more your values 
mm. of what you communicate. Um, for a while in my career, I worked at the Associated Press and I've worked in a bunch of newsrooms. And that was so inherent to our decision. Like, do we call it gun rights? Well, that has bias toward, is it, you know, the right, maybe the right side of the room in America. Um, but if we call it, you know, gun laws, that might also bias us toward the left. And it was such a, every term was such a decision uh, with an eye towards that, because that is the stated goal of news to be pretty objective. But I think even companies now are seeing that that those have weight and they really define customers and maybe a customer won't shop with you if you choose it the wrong term. Right. Um, yeah. Uh, um, uh, of course, terms are loaded, right? I mean, and it's sort of like, it's, it's almost obvious as you say it out loud, but uh, I like the point that you're making is that it's one thing to use terms. It's another to make them more or less prominent on the site. And that gender neutral clothing example is such a good example especially with all of those clothing brands being under that, that same umbrella. I think there's still maybe a corner of the IA field that thinks we can operate in this sort of a priori kind of space where it's like, it shouldn't matter. We're just trying to classify reality. How do you in your process kind of balance this? Uh, we're trying to classify everything that exists. Uh, in this particular domain with certain labels have uh, certain uh, meanings to folks beyond the classification of the content or the products or whatever. How do you sort of help your stakeholders understand or other subject matter experts or whoever it is in the room understand that you're trying to strike this balance? Uh, I mean, I think there is, you know, the, the future is up, is here. It's just unevenly distributed. I think that's true with reality as well. Um, uh, like, I, I, I think it's, it's easier in a lot of ways because of algorithms and how they've changed what we see online, right? Your Google search algorithm is different than mine. I think with TikTok, this has become even more of a big thing. Like, oh, uh, I don't even see this. I, a very recent example is my, for the last three days, my Instagram has been all hey, and this is very, apparently very revealing about myself, but I don't know why. Um, don't do cocaine right now. It's laced with fentanyl. And yeah, I've, everyone I've talked to is like, what? That's not, I've never seen anything about that. But I guess a lot of people are dying because there is a lot of fentanyl laced cocaine around. I don't, I don't do cocaine. Um, I'm okay if you do. Um, but just by contrast, my Instagram feed is all uh, challah bread recipes for Rosh Hashanah. <laughs> So, oh, yeah, right. right. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, I don't know. I don't know what parties I'm like. I don't know what I follow that that links to this. I don't leave the house much. Um, but it is I think it's easy to explain with TikTok. Right. Like uh, your TikTok algorithm, you're seeing things that more and more every day I'm, I'm experiencing people are like, you know, this trend that's everywhere. And everyone else in the room is saying, no, I, I don't know what you mean. So I think that has made it easier, especially to explain to technical folks that like, hey, what is reality for you? And what is reality for me is different. I think um, also just the idea of search, um, if we have search logs, the, the percentage of time people don't put in context, like this is something in librarianship we learned in 1970, but I think tech industry you learned like 10 years ago that like, you know, your context is so assumed for you, you don't add it. Um, and so that, I, I think that has become helpful. That being 
the reality for everyone has become helpful in explaining like this is not uh, your your context is not the same for everyone. In in terms of how it works for terms, like I have had to sit in a room with you know five male engineers and explain how women's clothing sizing works like more times than I hope to <laughs> hope to ever do. Um, and, and to them being like, is that really how it works? Why wouldn't you just go to your own? Why wouldn't you just go to your specific size and be done with it? And you're like, well, women's sizing isn't consistent. And so you would go to, you know, 16 tall and plus 16 short. And, you know, um, so I think having those examples and I mean, I'm sure everyone ever that will you will ever interview says, you know, having them watch users actually struggle, like, and seeing their their contexts, I think, uh, and drawing from a wider set of contexts for your users. I think that's another thing I'm really seeing is um, looking at how focus groups are pulled. We, we specify such a specific group of people, and that's not super representative of everyone. Um, I've gone to a lot of focus groups in Chicago. I've gone to a lot of focus groups in Nashville and in New York. I haven't gone to a lot of folks groups in Oklahoma. <laughs> and now that we do them online, I think it's a lot better, but I think we're grabbing from a specific group of people who are a lot like us. And that is, that makes our content, we ignore a lot of people based on that content. So uh, maybe this is a good time to transition to the lens that we yeah. uh, picked. Uh, I mean, I feel like in looking at navigation and understanding that we're not just simply classifying the world in a, you know, in a sort of, um, in a way that's completely free of context, that we're being mindful of context, that sometimes we need to make uh, compromises to sort of a, what, a more, a, a purer uh, way of categorizing things, right? And maybe we are having to mix uh, apples and oranges, uh, so to speak, uh, in order to kind of pull off the sort of messaging that uh, uh, and brand awareness that we're uh, that our stakeholders are hoping for that we know we need to uh, bring to the table. So uh, as far as that preamble is concerned, that's the best I'm going to do in terms of transition here. Um, why don't you share the lens that we picked? And then uh, maybe try and describe it in your own words. Would that be all right? Yeah. So it's heterogeneity and homogeneity. Um, and it's just kind of how do we mix like and unlike? And how does the structure benefit or, I guess, problematize that? Yeah. Nice. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I think you've mentioned kind of purity and truth in the last couple of uh, things. And um, I guess I think it's early in your career, <laughs> you kind of lose the, the need for purity and truth. Um, I think that just feels like a very, very young IA's time uh, feeling. Um, to me, it's, does it help people find a thing, right? So uh, another news example. So again, if you're in news, it's all about truth. And uh, I can't recall the actual animal taxonomy, but Basically, like penguins and seals are in different sections of the animal taxonomy and in surprising ones that you wouldn't think of. And so it was like, do we go with the truth of animals being very separately or do we go with like when people think about seals, they probably also, you know, think about the other aquatic animals. Um, and so that's, a, I mean, part of that is your stakeholders, right? Uh, which do they value? Like people finding things, truth, et cetera. 
I mean, in some cases, I do think there's a reasonable uh, view of truth. I think news is one of them, like, right? Um, I think if you're talking about something like e-commerce, which is what I've been involved in in the last portion, um, I would more opt towards, you know, what do people, how how are people finding this? Uh, An example, anyone who's worked with me will find amusing is, you know, leggings aren't pants, in my opinion. <laughs> They're never going to be pants. <laughs> um, but people look for them in pants. So whatever my position is, you know, uh, I'm going to put them there. Um, so I think, I think also the, the thing that, you know, working at a place like Etsy uh, and users who are looking on Etsy is a it gives you a stronger feeling than most e-commerce, but it's true in all of e-commerce and all of searching, even like academic searching, which I've been doing a lot of recently, is the serendipity effect, like the finding a book when you're looking in a stack for something else uh, or in a bookstore even now these days, or you know, finding that one weird thing uh, in your search results that you weren't looking for, but now you're really excited about and you purchased. Um, I think, especially search engineering is always looking for the most exact, the most correct results. And sometimes we like lose that element. And I think that's something where structure, getting it too right might be bad because the words people are using are often not the words people who are categorizing are using. So a great example, again, from Etsy is this idea that like we have experts who are categorizing things. There are people who made the thing. They know every aspect of this item and they've been maybe working in hat making for 20 years. The person looking for a hat doesn't know any of that and they're not gonna use the same words. And especially things like style, like if you're looking for furniture, you don't know, you might not know what your style is, but you know, is it minimalist? Is it downtown? I don't know. So those are hard words. So you should be finding things that are also adjacent. And I think we, we often, structure often gives us precision and not like things nearby. We, we focus on re- re- recommendations for that a lot, I think. Um, so uh, you were uh, talking about uh, the serendipity effect, finding the one weird thing that you weren't looking for. And I know in my day-to-day experience as a user, I love that, right? That's thoroughly enjoyable. Um, And maybe it speaks to the need to kind of be a little less strict with our our structures so that we can encourage that. Are there other ways that you've explored to design for serendipity? Yeah, I mean, I think that I'll disagree with you a little bit there. I think on the back end, that means we should be even stricter with our structures um, so that we know hey, I, I always want to be in a situation where I know as much as I can the truthiness of every object and what it is, um, and then show it to people in a more serendipitous way, right? So like if I know, um, I have this, I play, this is a, a thing I fidget with, but it is a pop socket technically. Um, it's rainbow, it's holographic, it's hexagonal, right? It's plastic, it's got a sticky thing. Uh, I would never purchase this as a fidget, right? Like I would purchase, I purchased this for my phone, but I enjoy playing with it while I'm talking to people, Um, right? So I think I wanna know as much as possible about this. So when people searching for holographic rainbow things, it comes up, 
but also, you know, someone searching for unicorns, maybe uh, this comes up, right? So I think getting really factual on the back end about all of your items and then looking at user patterns about how things relate, but then also allowing for, I think this is a thing that I don't have the answer for and I don't think we've gotten good at of like what percentage off of a search term should we throw something in there randomly? And I think ads are actually what is doing that right now, especially in e-commerce, like, or even in search, right? Like there'll be an ad that's 20% adjacent to something. And because they paid money, it goes in there. And sometimes that works. And I don't think we think about that in terms of maybe it's just the one thing that isn't like those other things that made someone click on that. Um, so yeah, I think, I think with technology, we've gotten obsessed with exact results. I don't think we should be obsessed with exact results. I think we should be obsessed with exact knowing about something and then mix it up a little bit. Cause yeah, I agree. Um, you know, sometimes you get the wrong meal at a, when you, you will get the wrong thing you ordered, but it's actually better. Right. Um, <laughs> I don't know that we've tested that in any way. Like how does wrong results sometimes help? Yeah. The Michelle book right at the library is right. Right. Yeah, I can't even remember the last time I browsed a bookshelf, but we used to have a really nice bookstore in my part of town. And just going there just to wander the bookshelves was really was really nice um, or the library. Um, and yeah, you're right. I, it happened more often in the bookstore that a book was misshelved, right? Our library was very, uh, is very on top of that sort of thing. So, um, I don't know that that's true. Have you searched Amazon for a book recently? I think you get some random results. I, I, really? I, I was a paid library before I went to library school. And so I just reshelved books, which is a terrible job. Um, and so many people came to the recently returned section. Like they wanted to look at my cart because it meant someone checked this out recently, right? And we have that, like, all, I think all of the physical things we built are, we're just rebuilding. It's kind of hilarious. But like, yeah, I mean, I think people want to know what's the most popular, right? Like, like what's the most recently returned? What's the, you know, and I think sometimes in search results, you get like, I don't know, if you're looking for dinosaur books, you're probably going to get, for your kid, you're probably going to get a Chuck Tingle book as well. Uh, which is dinosaur erotica. Those are probably not what you're looking for, but you're you're going to have an exciting ten minutes, right? <laughs> right? Um, I think I think there are things again because people don't have that context. Sometimes that does lead to that serendipity, right. but uh, I don't think we're doing it intentionally. So, um, if you were to help someone who's kind of doing IA, who's relatively new to IA, uh, and you wanted to. Um, help them or coach them uh, or mentor them on how to use this lens, what is something that you might suggest to them, something that you might suggest that they do to kind of help look at their work through this idea of whether they're being very deliberate about like and unlike items? Yeah. I mean, I would say the best way, going back to kind of the earlier part of this conversation, the best way to do that is not to assume like a pretty uniform user base um, to really like poke at what other groups, you know, not just design for the, for the majority, design for 
you know, little other groups, because I think when we design for even for the weirdos, like that kind of often benefits the non-weirdos. Um, I think uh, not to imply that differently abled people are weirdos, um, although I am. <laughs> um, uh, but I, there was, I think in 2019, I'm not going to be able to tell you who did it, but someone gave a talk at IA conference that was about, um, you know, designing for people who have dyslexia actually makes things more readable for everyone else. I think examples like that are really good. I also think I'm maybe not the best mentor for someone starting out. I think it's, I think this is an interesting thing. Like, not that I'm, I'm, demeaning any of us as mentors, but I think someone starting out is probably better served by someone three years into their career, right? Um, I can definitely help them, but I also think I don't want to tell them what to do. I want to hear what they think we should do also, right? And I think that's, I think there's as much of a bias in being in a field for a really long time um, at, that we're kind of doing the same thing and we're not looking out for those random random serendipity things. Like I know how to do a navigation. Uh, yeah, I'm going to take you into account, but I've done it a jillion times. I can do it in my sleep. Um, so I don't know that I want to tell them exactly what to do. But that's great. Uh, what would you be, uh, as you're watching them do their work, observing them, not coaching them, yeah, yeah. what are you looking for though? What are some, some of the things that are, things that you feel like would jump out at you? I mean, I think in the rare chances I've gotten to look at people who are newer, um, and I also think there's a divide here of people who, you know, went had technical training, whether it's library school or computer science or IA or something, versus people who didn't. What I have noticed is we're so traditional. If you came to this through a traditional path, you're much more interested in the rules, right? Which makes sense, right? Like I, I think newer people are more likely to use faceting or not care about, um, you know, a hierarchy, you know, more quickly come to a, like a matrix sort of style, more quickly think about multiple users. Um, whereas like, I think in a traditional, you know, I've recently, I've, I've taken classes on the Library of Congress. I think about it, right? I think about consistency more than sometimes than I think about um, maybe uh, percentage affinity. Uh, I think sometimes we can get stuck in those older ways. And I think observing newer people, they've had newer technology also. So that uh, that's the thing I I look towards is is how are they using new how are they coming up with ideas because their assumption is newer technology or maybe even technology that doesn't exist yet, then someone who's been beaten down a bunch of times because you're like, yeah, we're never going to get that system. You know? <laughs> Especially us, I think we work with legacy. I get called in a lot of times when your legacy system fails. And so I have to like work with some old data that's terrible. Whereas I think people coming newer are thinking about whole new systems that don't exist yet with data that doesn't exist yet that they can begin making. Um, I mean, that was awesome. I think we will leave it there. Thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. Thank you. It.